0: Yeah, all right. Um, I wonder how long it took for for him to 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 figure out. Just, I need to write a homecoming speech. I need to write a speech that that my father. What, what's my father want to hear? What, what does he want to hear? What does he want me to say? Probably starts out like this: uh, "Dad, I love you," or. Uh, Dad, out of all the dads in the world, I'm sure glad you're mine. Or, uh, hey, Dad, Uh, no, that's stupid. And crumple paper after crumple paper hits the ground. I'm sure at this point a little pride starts coming into his head and his heart and he starts thinking, I don't need to go back. I don't need to go back to my dad. I don't need his money. I can make things work here because I'm a man and I can do this. But as soon as that pig filth enters his nostrils... He slammed back into reality. He takes one deep breath, closes his eyes, and writes this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. And with that, he sobbed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for uh, today, Lord. I pray, God, that in this service, Lord, it is you that speaks through me, not... Uh, not that of a church, not that of, a, of, a, of me, but just, Lord, your words, God. So, Father, we thank you. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. So one thing I love about well, being a youth pastor is I love, I like telling the stories. I like telling stories to the kids that maybe they didn't necessarily hear in Sunday school or maybe little different versions or, or whatever. But the reason why I like to do that is because Jesus modeled that to me. And this is, he, 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 told, he tells these stories. They were simple and they were straight to the heart of the matter. He didn't speak in long theological words to people. He didn't do all these grand things. He just told stories that showed the father's heart. And, and this one was one of my favorites. It's the prodigal son or wayward son. Depends on what Bible you're reading. Um, but prodigal, the word prodigal just means wasteful. So wasteful son. Um, the term has become begun has begun to be so popular now it really kind of describes any person that leaves one area of life one area of life only then to return um so today we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about that story and before we do that um i want to talk about context so open up your bibles to luke uh 15 that's where we're going to be at today it's about three quarters in your bible third gospel right after mark if you get john you've gone too far Luke 15. So what's going on here is that, that Jesus has done the unthinkable, okay? Jesus has actually gone out and made friends with sinners. Can you believe it? It's crazy, right? He's actually gone out and made friends with sinners. And even crazier that the, the religious people, the church people, the leaders, they didn't like that. They didn't like that. So they would follow Jesus around. They would follow him, follow him around, complaining, criticizing, just because Jesus would sit and have a meal with, with a sinner. They did not like that. They didn't like to mix their sin with their Jesus, I guess. Um, and so one day, one day Jesus is sitting there, and he, again, he's, he's hanging out with sinners, and, and the, the, the leaders come up, and he says, I'm going to tell you a story. And in fact, it's not just one story, it's three stories. The first one was about a lost sheep. And it talked about how that the shepherd rejoices and he is so joyful just for the fact that he will go off and find the one sheep versus the 99 that paid attention or that listened and obeyed. And then there's another story about a woman who had 10 silver coins. She lose one and she tears her house upside down looking for it. And when she finds that one coin, she calls all her neighbors and she's, rejoicing and she's saying, Celebrate with me and it talks about how there's how there's rejoicing in heaven every time even just one sinner repents. And then the third story is uh, what we're going to talk to we're going to start today. Luke fifteen, eleven through thirteen right now. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Parents, be honest. How many of your kids are desperate to leave you? (laughs) Okay? How many of you are desperate to leave your parents, okay? So really, this isn't like something different. I mean, parents were dealing with the same things that they're doing now, although maybe we have more kids that are staying home that are not leaving, but whatever. Um, but uh, so, so the son, he wants to leave now. Now, it's not a thing where he's just going to take off and start a life of his own and you know, try to make it his way or or try to make things his way. He's doing something that is so insulting that he's actually going to his father and saying, I want my inheritance now. In other words, uh, you're dead to me. I'm done with you. Give me my money and I'm leaving. And the father sends him off with a bag full of money. Not money that he earned not money that he, he worked for. The son, it, he didn't get the money because the son had, had abilities or cleverness. He strictly got the money because of the graciousness, graciousness of the father. Interesting enough, the father let him make this bad decision. Which shows really that the father is, not, is, is respecting the son's free will. All right, continuing on. 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Well, money runs out like it always does. The land that looks so greener, the land that looks so enticing, the land that looked so promising is now looking brown and ugly. It's death. So the son has no money in a land that has now been hit by a severe, collapsed economy. It was the worst possible scenario. The son is poor, he's alone, he's scared, and he doesn't know what to do. Actually, that's not true. He does know what he wants to do. He wants to go home. And as he starts to think about going home, he starts to remember, oh, man, I really insulted dad. Oh, man, I really embarrassed him. Oh, man, there's no way that dad's going to take me back. And because those thoughts overwhelm him, he decides to take a different road. He says, I'll just go see if my friends, I gave them a lot of money when I had money, maybe I'll go check with them, maybe they got a couch for me to sleep on. And door after door he hits, sorry, sorry, sorry. Job after job, sorry, sorry, famine, we don't have money, sorry. So he decides to leave the town, he decides to go, to go elsewhere looking for an income. And he's, and he's heading down this road, he's about a mile, mile and a half away, and a very distinct smell happens. Any of guys live in Chino? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right? It hits him. And he walks further. He finds the farmer, asks the farmer, I need a job. Farmer takes one look at him and says, aren't you a Hebrew? Uh, do you know what kind of farm this is? Now, see, the son knows why the farmer is asking that question, because any self-respecting Jewish person is not going to be around pigs, not going to touch pigs, not going to eat pigs, not be around them. It, it just doesn't happen. So with desperation in his eyes, he looks at the farmer, shrugs his shoulders, and says, well, this is all I got. I've got nothing left. The farmer says, well, I can't pay you because we're in a famine, bad economy but you can fight the pigs off for the food and you can live in their stall. That's about all I can offer you. I like this because I feel like when Jesus is telling a story, I feel like he's picking his words carefully. Obviously, he's perfect, right? He but it, he, there was a point because when he got to this point in the story, every man, every woman, every religious leader, every person, anyone who was hearing that story, when he said that, everyone knew exactly what was going on. That the kid has hit rock bottom. It's as if he's living in a dumpster and he's eating all the leftover foods the restaurant's thrown away. Actually, no, that sounds better than the pigs. So I don't know. All right, continuing on. 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. For the first time in this story, we get to see who the son truly is. You see, sin, sin makes us see the world incorrectly. It makes us see ourselves in the wrong light. And he was enticed by that. He was surrounded by that. He was wrapped up in that when he decided to leave. But when he started to look at his situation... When he started to see things clearly, he became himself. And rebellion and disobedience were not ourselves. But when he, again, when he had the clear thinking, he knew that he can't make this pig life work. He can't be king of the pigs. He didn't blame the father. He didn't blame his brother. He didn't blame his friends who wouldn't give him a spot on the couch. His focus was on the father. He recognized his misery without wearing it meaning he didn't take on this identity. He didn't become pig king. He knew he had to get out. His focus was on the father. Now, because of that focus was on the father, his speech probably sounded a whole lot different than the, the, probably the first speech he ever started, which was probably the one to get the money. Like, Father, uh, I'm a man now, and because I'm a man, I do manly things, and I'm a man, and, well, I need, I need money to be a man, so give me the money, and I'm a man because... I'm a man, let me go, I'm a man. Probably had to emphasize that a lot. But now it's, Father, make me a servant. I am not worthy. His whole demeanor has changed. No attempt to justify himself or excuse what he did. Just make me a servant. Now that's the attitude we are to have with God. So that's the end. If I can have the band come on up, no, I'm joking. <laughs> look look, if you now, if we have that attitude, that God that we're serving in, and God is God and we're to be His servant, then we might not get grace. We might not understand. Because look, there's a reason why Jesus is telling the story, and it's not about being a servant. It's not about being yeah, being a servant. Look, there are two things I want you to pay attention to to pay attention. First thing is this. Understand the relationship that we have with God. It's that of father-child, father-son, father-daughter. Look, out of all the things he could have done, he could have been overlord, peon. He could have been (laughs) boss, servant. He chose father-son, father-daughter. The God of the universe chose one of the most intimate relationships that we can have to relate to him. not servants. Second thing is remember who Jesus is telling this story to. Two groups of people. Sinners was the first group. And probably those first two stories were for them. Just telling them, look, there is a God that cannot and will not leave you alone, that he will chase you, he will look for you, and he will rejoice when he gets you or when he finds you. The story of the prodigal to the second group, I think, is of the church people. It's the people that think that they know God and let's give them credit. Maybe they do. But they don't get his heart and they didn't get his heart for other people. They didn't get this idea of God's grace. When I was seven years old, I don't, I don't know, it's the second grade, is that seven? I don't know. I specifically know it was seven because it was a day that, you know, I, I remember it very clearly that, okay, so as a seven-year-old, as a boy, you are exploring the world, right? And you are finding things. I mean, you're learning like, wow, that's amazing what vinegar does to baking soda. And you get in your mom's cabinet, and that's all you're doing all day because it's it's cool, right? You learn things about how batteries work or certain things. And I remember on this day, some kid came into our group of friends and was like, I just learned the coolest thing. And I'm like, What is it? And he goes, You take a cat. You take a cat and you throw it, it will always land on its feet. And I'm like, there's no way. No. No. And I doubted him the whole time, right? Doubted him the whole time. He said, no, I'm telling you. Every time. So that day, my friend Stevens like, hey, don't worry, I got a cat. We'll try it when we get home. We get home and... We get the cat, and it was—it was a kitten, but it wasn't like a cute kitten. It wasn't like freshly like birth. Don't think that. It was like I don't know, adolescent, junior hires, right? It's a junior hire of the cat world, and so we start like, okay, picking it up about here and dropping it. All right, hire. All right. All right. So finally, it was like, it works. The cat does land on its feet. Now the cat must be loving this because it's not running away. And so we're like, well, how high can we get? Right? And we're throwing this cat and it's falling and doing anything. It's not running away. So we're thinking it's fine. And we're thinking that cat's just got this miraculous ability to have hard paws or whatever. Now science has left the window, now our curiosity got now it's just we're having fun. Right? And so we're tossing it and and I'm standing in front of my, my, my big old, my, my house. And it's, my house had this giant window that led into the living room. And I'm standing right in front of it. And I get the cat and I'm like, here we go. And I throw it and it's twirling. I'm assuming it's having fun. And all of a sudden it hits like the, the edge of my roof and goes, Row! Immediately my mom pops up and she goes, what was that? And I'm like, uh sprinkler right mom says no she comes outside she looks it she goes what'd you throw sprinkler why is the cat's nose all bloody mom gives that look steven i think it's time for you to go home michael get inside right now here's the thing my mom was more upset that i lied to her right but i mean i just threw a cat of course <laughs> what am i gonna do all right so so I go inside and my mom's just, you know, why'd you lie, blah, 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 Why were you doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, you know, upset and she's upset. And she finally just, she stops, she calms down. She goes, you know what, Michael? You need to understand something. You know, God created animals just like he created humans. God God created the animals. And it's our responsibility to take care of them. Now she said that, meaning it was all lighthearted and it was just like a different perspective, right? But that destroyed me. Because now I just realized God gave me a responsibility, and I just blew it. Cat's nose is all jacked up. Cat lived. Cat was fine. Right? But I wasn't. Because that changed my way of thinking. My mom never knew this. You know, and it wasn't her intention, but it destroyed me. Because then I started thinking, I always knew God. I always knew God loved me and whatnot. But I always thought, like, man, could I, lose, could I be out of his good graces? Could I lose grace with him? Is he disappointed in me? And it started this whole, this whole thought process of man, I, there are going to be times where I'm just not worthy. I'm not worthy of God. And Jesus told the story. He told, told about the son. He had the same attitude I am not worthy of being a son. But the question is was the son ever really worthy? Was I ever really worthy? Things change when you have kids, right? Amen? All right. I was always told this, and I kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. But it was true that when you have kids, you see things a little bit different. You see things like almost as if God sees them. And so let's take this line of reasoning to how I view my kids. So my daughter, she's two. She's almost three. She'll be three next month. She's excited for her birthday. She wants dinosaurs, so if any of you guys want to get in here any dinosaurs, that'd be cool. Um, (laughs) If my my daughter was to come up, say, one day and just say, Daddy, Dad, Dada, I am now worthy to be your daughter. I have listened to Mommy. I have let you sleep in. I go to sleep right at 7.30. I do these things. I am now worthy to be your daughter. What say you? I would look at my daughter, smile, and be like, Are you kidding me? There's a part of me that would be a little offended, right? Look, I pay for your clothes. I pay for your food. I pay for the roof over your head. It's never about you being worthy. Good or bad, my daughter's gonna be my daughter. I'm gonna love her. We are sons and daughters by birth, not by worth. Look, we can talk about how humble and repentant the son was in this story, and that's great, and that, that's a whole separate sermon. But I really think the point of this story was not about the son, but it was about the father. It was about the father and his heart. Continuing on, verse twenty. So he got up and went to his father. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Man, what was it like for the father every day, day after day, month after month, year after year, sitting and waiting? What was it like? For his friends, family, neighbors, just looking at him like, man, you're a moron. Your son did not choose you. Your son left you. Your son insulted you. Your son took your heart and destroyed it. Why are you waiting for him? And day after day, his eyes fall empty. Until one day. Until one day when he's scanning that horizon and he sees someone come up over the hill The father takes running, takes off running. He knows it's not a stranger. He knows it's not a Bible salesman. He knows that just by the silhouette, that's my boy. That's my son. And he runs as fast as his age will allow him. As he's getting closer, the smell enters his nostrils. The father runs faster. As he gets closer, he sees the filth covered all over his son. The father runs faster until he reaches him and grabs him. Hugs him and kisses him. Look, our Bible kind of does a bad explanation. It just says the father put his arms around him and kissed him. But in the Greek, it is implied that the father kissed him over and over and over. The intensity of the father's love just overbeared the son. The son is taken back by the father's intense love. He starts to squirm. He starts to get out this speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Father, I'm not worthy. Just make me a servant. The father does not respond to that. Give him a robe. Give him a ring. Give him sandals. Give him food to eat. That's the father. That is God. And what an amazing story to show us God's love. Three stories, three lost things, three parties. I think this verse here really sums it up. Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. If you have your Bibles, underline that, circle that, highlight that, do whatever you have to do. Still sinners. Christ died for us. God knew that we were jacked up when he bought us. And yet he still did it. He didn't wait. Jesus didn't say, hey, look, hey, I'm here. I'm going to die for you, but I need all you guys to be perfect first. I need all you guys to do good things, and then I'll die for you. That's not how it went down. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our sonship was already restored despite what we do. We just have to accept it. And yet, some of us, maybe all of us, I don't know, we might still walk with this idea that We have to maintain our grace with God. And we're still having to work for it. The grace of God really is kind of messed up logic. I mean, it doesn't make sense. And we can preach it. We can talk about it. We can study it. But we'll never truly understand it until we're in front of them. That's just the way it is. The son deserved to be punished. The son deserved to be disowned. The son deserved to be banished from the father. The son knew it. The people hearing the story knew it. But Jesus told the story of something different. Look, the people that were hearing the story had been under this legalism for years. It was something they needed to hear. Jesus speaks of this love, and, but yet he's speaking to leaders who say, "Look, oh, you gotta read your Bible like for hours a day, pray for even more hours a day. Speak all the lingo and all the logic. Oh yeah, and do one more thing. You just have to be perfect. And Jesus says, no, that's not it. That is not it. That is not why I'm here to die. That is not why God has sent me. God's love for you is not determined by how much good you do. And yet the son swarms free to say his speech. The father ignores all logic, new clothes, ring, and massive celebration to honor his son. What did the son do to deserve the honor? Nothing. Not a thing story is not about the son. The story is about the father. It's about the grace of the father. We have to remember, we can't be awkward around grace. We can't be awkward in accepting grace. We have to embrace it. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. So, if I can have the graduates come on up. Those who graduated, just kind of stand right here. You can come a little faster. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. Look, when uh, when Pastor asked me to speak, uh, you know, there wasn't—he didn't say you need to speak on this or that or whatever. I, I, I—it was—I didn't know what to say, so I prayed about it, and I was like, man, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that I feel they need to hear? And I was like, grace. As they're entering adulthood, what's the one thing I want them to always remember, that I want them to be embedded in their heart, embedded in their head? It is grace. It is that they will always have the opportunity to return to the Father. So guys, as you go off into the world, don't neglect your grace. Don't forget it. You're going to screw up. It just happens. It happens. But don't get so far that you can't come back. The Father loves you. Don't neglect it. You are no servant. You are a son and daughter of the living God. Now walk in confidence, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. Amen? All right, if I can have, I should ask for the elders and pastors to come up, parents too. If I can have the parents, elders, pastors come up, let's pray for these kids, Students. And the band can come up as well. Don't they look good? All right. I want you guys to pray for them as well, but I want you to look at them. I don't want you to close your eyes. I want you to look at them and have their face burned in your memory so that you're praying for them later. Okay? So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for these graduates. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done just thus far, that you have brought them in a world where school is just horrible, Lord, and it's a miracle for them to get out. Yeah. Father, we thank you for them. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that, that the idea of grace, that your grace that you have given them will be, again, embedded, burned in their hearts and in their mind, Lord. That when they are out in the world and they're entering in an adulthood and they mess up from time to time, Lord, that, that no lie will enter their head. No lie of, oh, you can't go back or, or you've messed up. Father, right now we, we ask for walls to protect that lie right now. Father, we thank you for their grace, for your grace. Father, I ask that you be with them right now as they go out, bless their hands in all that they do. In your name, Amen.
1: All right, not bad, eh? I know. I used to um, I used to sneak upstairs on Wednesday nights just to spy on them, and now I sneak up just to listen to Michael Teach. It's not bad, huh? All right, uh, if I can have the ushers come forward and we're going to receive the offering today. Kind of have to do this since we didn't do it last week. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's pray. Father, again, we thank you so much for uh, being a part of your kingdom that you've invited us in and that we are sons and daughters. And I just pray that we'll just identify with with our identity and who you've created us to be. Thank you much for this day. And again, we just continue to pray for our graduates in the next season in their life. We love you, Lord. Just bless this church and bless our area. Bless all the other life-giving churches that are doing what we're doing this morning. We love you. Amen.